Welcome to The Velocity Factor, a podcast about leadership, change, and growth. I'm Ben Strout, President and Chief Growth Architect at Velocity Strategy Solutions, an on-demand next-generation management consulting firm dedicated to helping leaders and organizations design, develop, and deploy smarter growth strategies. Each week, my co-host and I explore the questions, challenges, and obstacles every leader faces when you push beyond business as usual and reach for breakthrough results. It's raw, unfiltered, and exactly what you need to find the confidence, clarity, and conviction to step into your preferred future. Subscribe to email updates at thevelocityfactor.com. Now let's do this together. So Daniel, we're both married. And I've got a, I've got probably a common experience, and I don't know, maybe of the two of us, I'm the worst offender. Uh, we walk in from the day, and our wives start telling us about something that's going on in their world, and we immediately go into consultant mode, and we start to deconstruct, you know, the situation. We start to identify where the uh, weak points are, where the opportunities are. We start to develop a plan and a roadmap, and in the midst of that, we get brought to a screeching halt and our wives say, you know what? I didn't need you to solve the problem. I just needed you to listen. Hmm. And we get <laughs> kind of get set back. I don't know. Is that, is that just me? Does that ever happen to you? Have you ever done that before? I, every day, every day. <laughs> it's typically not, not a pleasant experience, but I think, you know, as leaders, we bring that same kind of disposition to the workplace, particularly in times of change and uncertainty. We know how to create systems because systems create order. Order is comfortable because it creates predictability. And many of us were trained to create a system so that you can shake out the risk uh, and you can continue to perfect it and measure it over time. We don't really have that privilege anymore. Things are happening at such a rapid pace. There are no constants. Everything is a variable and probably will be for the foreseeable future. So our tendency to create a system before we test the process is really going to inhibit our ability to lean into the energy that change can bring inside our organization. And when I think about this, I think about what it looks like to create the future of business hmm. uh, and 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 what what are those characteristics that make the future of business and particularly what does it mean to move from a, a shift from a culture of perfection to a culture of learning and I think that spectrum uh, that journey if you will for a leader is going to really impact their propensity to quickly when they find risk or a problem or a gap to quickly create a system rather than say, what does it look like to test something until we see enough consistency that we can then understand what system is needed in order to, uh, you know, to resolve whatever gap uh, it might be there. And so when you think about the propensity of leaders to step in and solve a problem before they really gather enough information why do you think we're so predisposed to do that? I think it's the, the bias for action. It's, it's, you may have heard of the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Getting things done is a trait of leaders. And getting things done and getting things done quickly is a liability for leaders who need to uh, explore implications, understand what is currently at work before 
introducing any changes into the system, what's going on within that system. And so a discovery process, drawing near, uh, deliberating with others, asking for their input is vital. But this is this is actually one of the, the characteristics that we see is most challenging for leaders to explore implications, to seek simplicity in the complexity of your current um, business function and business enterprise. So it's that it's that humility. I don't know. We talked about this earlier, the darkness principle. I think uh, that the higher up you go in leadership, the, the more light you see. But the reality is the more you are in darkness and the more you need to be deliberate and intentional about seeking understanding. I think it's Franklin Covey that says understand versus overstand. That is something that we are continually impressing upon leaders. Seek to understand. Where do you think that, you know, certainly we, we all love, love that statement and we all quote it. We go to seminar or we used to go to seminars pre-COVID. Uh, we read books about it, you know, but when it comes down to the day to day, you know, when the rubber meets the road, if you will, uh, when, when the heat is on, it, it, that is not our natural tendency as leaders. It's immediately to step in, you know, uh, decree a system so that we can uh, resolve whatever uncertainty there is in the process. And I just got to think that um, that is going to, that is just going to create epic failure and uh, orders of magnitude like we've never seen before if we continue to try to operate like that in a, uh, in a not business as usual environment, if you will, um, in an environment of, of massive change, which, you know, but where does that, I mean, I, I know we have the tendency to, to kind of that bias for action, but where do we learn that? Do we learn that just by watching other leaders? Is it an MBA programs? Is it, uh, is it because we're expected uh, to kind of figure that out? And it's like, wh- where did, at what point in our lives did we say, you know what, it's not okay to just say, you know what, that is a problem. I wonder why it's a problem. Instead, we, we rush to let's solve the problem. Yeah, I think I think it's a confluence of uh, when people have collaborated, they've gotten burned, uh, and they think, well, you know, I've tried that; it doesn't work. And uh, you know, I've oftentimes uh, uh, I'll ask people, "Hey, when was the last failed diet you've had?" And they don't have to go back too far. And I'll say, "Okay, so are you giving up on healthy eating forever because you know your diet didn't work?" But being deliberate and drawing near is an ongoing process. And the the challenge of work, the complexity of work isn't going away. And leaning in, asking questions, taking time. We're not talking days. We're talking timeframes where we're giving ourselves time to explore the implication in what's actually going on and recognizing there's more at play in the system. But uh, it's a good question. I, I think it's a confluence of factors. There's individual factors. There's team factors, there's organization factors, cultural factors that that oppose humility, curiosity, and openness to what might be. That's so good. So that means that we as leaders are going to have to change. We're going to have to adapt if our organizations are going to have any hope of adapting. So, so let's just kind of think about this new reality as the future of work. And if we as leaders are going to have to change, then I'm curious in exploring with you for the next few few minutes, what, who do we need to become as leaders to live into this new reality of work? Yeah, I think you bring up a, a good statement that is worth a pause. Um, most change management 
initiatives fail because there's not a clear ownership of how we have to change. And so most organizational change initiatives fail because the leadership isn't owning how they need to change. It's a them issue. It's, it's a they issue rather than I and we. How do we need to change and model that change and pioneer that change? You know, in our last episode, we talked about documentation. And so it's, it's taking the time for institutional documentation. What's the change that's necessary? What does that require of us before we cascade this, before we even deliberate beyond the, the confines of this conversation? How do I need to change? And to me, that's exciting. I mean, it's not an indictment. It's an invitation. I haven't arrived. Uh, The challenges that are before us are beyond our present capacities. But as we embrace those challenges and internally and externally, there's massive opportunity to change. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I mean, change management is uh, ultimately begins with the individual. Uh, You've got to change how they're thinking. Uh, in order to create, you know, any semblance of, of hope for a new outcome or a new way of doing things. And so, you know, playing with this idea of the future of work and who do we as leaders need to be, um, I, I, I got to think that that to begin with, if we're not, if we're going to stop being the person who's solving the problem, we're going to start being the per- person who's learning from the problem that we've just discovered that, you know, and you used this word before, we've, we've got to bring a, a humility and an authenticity and most importantly, an openness to the situation. If in order to do that, what has to be true? What has to be true is I don't see the whole. Um, I need the other. Um, I, I need to bring my authentic self um, and be open to legitimate collaboration with others. And so I think there needs to be a strong resistance um, towards being strong and certain and calculated and an openness to being vulnerable as a leader. I need my team. I need their input. And so often I find that there's a fear to welcoming the other because of past experience. And, you know, people... They, they don't close with conflict. They avoid conflict. They're conflict averse. And it's like, hey, let's have the conversation that needs to be had. Let's be open to the other. Let's close with the past and be authentic about the need for all of us to contribute to this challenge. And we don't have the answer. We don't, we don't know the answer. But as we deliberate, as we collaborate, the solution will emerge. Well, that, that seems like a, I mean, that seems like an otherworldly type experience, you know, having having been largely on on revenue t- teams when I've worked for other folks, that's been a high high intensity environment. And if we're not meeting the outcomes, I, I've never had a sales manager come in and said, "Wow, uh, what don't I know, and what can you help me understand?" Uh, it really ends in yelling, uh, pens being thrown, chairs being topped over, uh, fists being pounded on the table. Um, I've worked for CEOs that, uh, if, you know, if they, they don't get the results that they want, they're literally just screaming, um, you know, what's wrong with you. Uh, so I, I got to think that my experience is probably the norm. And what you're talking about seems like this unbelievable reality that uh, just may not be uh, may not be true in, in any sense of the word. And so, you know, how in fact, um how in fact do we get there when 
when we're asking leaders to exhibit behaviors they may never have seen demonstrated before? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, leaders seek counsel and trusted advisors, but leaders love to jump right into a project. And what I have found and what you're attesting to is leaders don't always take the time to explore implications by examining their their ideas and having their ideas um, open to uh, legitimate pushback and conflict and productive conflict. Hey, let's let's go af- after this idea and let's open this idea up for discussion. Uh, leadership is often about pushing forward. But when you're creating a vision for your group, gathering objective data is a vital, important step. Doing your homework takes time. And you may see it as un- unnecessary busy work um, when you're eager to keep things going, but you've got to evaluate your ideas and test your assumptions against reality and the reality of your people, the reality of the market. And it gives you time to get the facts you need to gain alignment and buy-in. So good. I think also, uh, you know, in, in that, who we have to become is we have to recognize that we're not looking uh, we're not looking for individual rock stars uh, and we're not looking for just individual contributors. Uh, we have to look for the team to have the answer. So, you know, and, and I think I think in that uh, we have to understand that the answers to our problems may not be simple enough uh, that we can, you know, we can, in fact, just ask one person. We need to be able to see the whole. And in order to see the whole, we have to have all of the individual contributors that are on that team contributing to the knowledge and understanding of whatever gap that we've uncovered. And I think there's there's an interesting shift in that, right? Because because in the old world, uh, we want to we want a throat to choke. Um, and in the new world, the future of work, we may need to recognize that what we're looking for is who's got the insight that's going to help us um, uncover the cause. And once we understand the cause, then we can come to a new understanding. Yeah, well, you're, you're talking about exchanging perspectives, being receptive, um, building alignment. And when we talk about driving alignment, we've, we've got to have conversations. And to have a, a crucial conversations, we need to move beyond just presenting information, issuing decrees, to exchanging perspectives. And so encouraging other people to comment, to, to ask clarifying questions, to model that um, rather than just presenting information in a way that suggests there, there's no room for discussion. And that the higher up you go, the more this is a challenge, the more that you have to be diligent and disciplined about making room for open conversation in order to gain people's alignment by going out of your way, going out of your way to solicit opinions and feedback. Uh, since since your leaders, since your decisions rather affect everyone in your group, this two way exchange of perspectives and getting opening it up for the, all the voices in the in the room to emerge is vital. I think another practical way that I think we get there is that we have to elevate outcomes among uh, above individual activity or individual targets. And uh, when we do that, we shift the conversation from you to we. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, and I think that is a key part of institutionalizing the future of work and that it's more important that we accomplish the outcome, even if the individual activity or individual metric doesn't uh, deliver. 
So, and, and if, if we determine that it's an individual metric that, that, you know, deficiency created the lack of the outcome, then that's, that's needs to contribute to that body of learning because now we understand the cause and effect relationship of that, but we didn't know that going into it. So I think it'd be really easy to go, wow, you didn't deliver on the outcomes of that email campaign, or you didn't deliver on uh, the product sales goals um, for this particular quarter. Um, but what may need to be looked at in the outcomes, particularly if you have you know, the development team at the table, is that the development team didn't deliver on some of the uh, characteristics of the software uh, in the same time frame that they said they were going to. And so that caused a delay in demos or it caused a delay in adoption, or it caused prospects to move on to another solution. So all of that is part of the key learning and recognizing that it's not as simple as yes, no, up, down, black, and white um, in order to, to do that. And I think this is the future of work because the variables and the assumptions that were consistent in previous uh, pre-COVID environments may not be consistent going forward. And I think all of this that we're talking about, and this is a key thing that you and I really talk a lot about with clients, uh, and that continuous learning ultimately is the new business strategy. And how, how are you beginning to see this take shape? And how do you see this stand in stark contrast to um, kind of old work thinking? Yeah, if you're going to thrive in the, the new workplace, I mean, learning and accelerated learning is the great differentiator. Um, we just we just don't know. And you see so many roles and positions and functions becoming irrelevant because people are living in their old certitudes rather than recognizing the workplace is shifting. Um, we're in a digital economy. And uh, building that culture of, of learning and development and ongoing learning and development where people take responsibility and ownership of their learning. And, and importantly, it's, it's holistic, it's integrative. It requires who they are, not just what they do or what they're called to do um, is really vital. I, I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. I mean, in, in the age of empathy, as, as we've often termed this next phase of business or the future of work, Currency is trust. And as long as we are humble leaders uh, who you know, really elevate collaborative teams and continuous learning, I think that's going to create a, a world of trust. And, and, and in that, we can then have open, honest conversations without fear of retribution, without fear of being pointed out as, uh, as the problem, uh, and that we're trying to help each other be more successful. And I think that is that's a key understanding or shift that needs to take place if we're going to move from don't create a system before you test the process because testing the process is where you do the learning. And then once there's enough learning that's taken place to where you can actually see patterns, that's when you create that system. So, so Daniel, you have a really great succinct kind of audit that you can help leaders uh, walk through and help them evaluate where they are in this transition to the future of work. And I'd love for you to walk us through that real quick. Yeah, the, what we do is we draw near and we seek to, to find out what are the performance gaps, because what we're trying to hold together in learning is performance, leadership, learning, and listening. And so typically people fall across the spectrum. There's, 
There's certain behaviors that are related to learning, curiosity, openness. There's certain behaviors that are related to listening, my uh, how I receive another, my my humility, my authenticness, my my uh, desire to grow and change, and leading. You know, am I am I able to work on a team? Am I able to form working teams? And finally, just performance. You know, can I can I get work done? And we've identified. Uh, you know, 50 to 60 behaviors. And, and typically what we do is we, we draw near and we find out what, what do people want to work on? What do they want to work on personally? And then we ask them, what does the organization need? And so beginning with desire is so important. Um, no one likes to be told what to learn, um, but rather giving people the sense of agency and autonomy to identify what are my learning challenges and, and how might I scale up my leadership in order to scale up the team and so this is this is so good from, you know, your resilience and your understanding of your purpose, you know, being able to adapt, um, having an agile learning mindset. And what we specifically mean by that is your ability to just learn and adapt to market changes. And typically, no, no one's saying that they've got um, uh, total domain awareness of what's happening in the market, especially after 2020. I mean, this has been a disruptive year. And, and then asking, what makes me better at my job? You know, there, there's the skills to do for which you were hired. And then there's your uniquely human skills and traits. And so what makes you better at your job and drilling down into that. And, and out of that comes agility and ability to learn and adapt to market changes. And apart from an environment, a culture of ongoing adaptation and change, someone's eating your lunch somewhere. Ah, I love it. I love it. You know, you, I've heard you ask these questions before with, uh, you know, in, in group settings. And, I, and I'd love to, I'd love to just ask leaders to, to reflect in their own thinking right now as, as they, you know, perhaps do a quick self audit, if you will, is that, you know, what, what's your organization's track record when it comes to trust? Where, where have you done that? Well, where have you not done that? Well, is there a culture of trust that's there? And uh, I think acknowledging where you are right now and your current reality is a key part. Um, and then having those level up conversations with your team. I, I think the second, second question that I love that you, how you ask it is, uh, in what ways can you kind of create and express and, and exhibit humility, authenticity, and openness right now, today, this week, this month, this quarter? Uh, and I think, again, the more that we can demonstrate for people what who we are becoming, the more that they will be open to taking that journey with us. Uh, and then at the third question that I love how you ask this uh, is, how can you help build trust and authenticity among team members? And honestly, the, some of the examples that, that you've, you've given in the past that I think are really good is, Show people where you have messed up and where you've learned. Be willing to say, you know what? I thought this was true, but then Susie or Bob or Joe showed me that that was wrong. And now that I have new information, I'm going to make a new decision. And that's massive, massive. Oh. Uh, and then are you infusing new data and information into your organization? You can't have a culture of learning unless you, in fact, are doing that in some structured process. But as you demonstrate for the people how you are ingesting new information and how that's helping you think about things in a broader term, guess what? That, that demonstrates to them 
that that learning is really the goal. So it's not about perfection. And I promise you, whether or not you hit the target or miss the target, if you're able to learn in that process, you're going to bring a different you and a different team to the next process. And you're going to bring a different level of effort in that. And I really think it's going to help you shift as a leader and help your teams begin to operate in a much more uh, agile environment, as you talk about, uh, so that we can really create fast, flat, and flexible organizations. And uh, and so resist that urge and that tendency is would be my encouragement in this to, to instantly solve the problem. Mm. Listen, learn, be open, and be willing to recognize that what might have been true 10 months ago may no longer be true, and that create the space within our teams to say, I don't yet know the answer, but we do. Yeah. And in the midst of that, how can we go about getting enough information to be able to arrive at whatever our next conclusion is? And then even when you get there, when new information is available that challenges your current conclusion, be willing and, and humble enough to be able to say, you know what? That we thought that was true, but now we know this is true. I think if we'll do that, the future of work is going to be exciting. And yeah. we're going to realize that the systems that we do build are, are responsive and dynamic and flexible enough to be able to withstand whatever level of uncertainty uh, and volatility we experience um, moving forward. Would you add anything to that as we close it out? Yeah, I've got a I got a story that's more recent. You know, yesterday I had an engagement with a client and it was it was 40, 40 employees and it was on resilience, which I mean that's a that's a catchword. And so we defined resilience, but then we really went into the the pain that resilience addresses, and that's that's a fatigue and employee burnout. And this was with 40 employees. And we we opened it up in the chat for people to look at, you know, several factors that lead to to burnout and then said, hey, where are you experiencing this right now? Which is a pretty vulnerable place. But what really catalyzed it was the key leaders leaning into the process and saying, hey, this is what I'm experiencing regarding fatigue and burnout and just a sense of loss. And then we looked at like, hey, what are practices that promote presence and resilience, being resolved to show up and pay attention and, and be fully human in the workplace? And what I found was really interesting is by the end of it, uh, there was a lot of different responses. A lot of different data was gathered, but the team of its own volition and key stakeholders throughout the team um, really wanted to um, uh, adopt retrospectives and feedback loops that were more aggressive. And that was one of many practices that were that related to personal to organizational practices. But th the findings weren't, you know, simply. Uh, organizing my workplace or taking time for exercise. It was, hey, we want to take time in the midst of this crazy to establish more firm feedback loops so that we're aware of what's going on. And, and at the very end, what people appreciated most was just knowing that their voice was heard and that there wasn't an immediate solution. That, that, that now we were going to take that data from that learning opportunity and, and customize um, solutions. And some of those solutions were drawing near to specific teams and prototyping some more robust retrospectives as the year ends that can be repeated on a quarterly basis. And so that was not what we expected. Um, 
as facilitators nor as a leadership team that we were working with um, from working with a, a large group of people. Um, but that's what emerged. That's awesome. I absolutely love it. Uh, I think if we'll live in the question and not rush to the answer, uh, we'll be better leaders and we'll create more dynamic and responsive organizations. And that is a future of work that I want to be a part of. Agreed? No doubt. No doubt. I'm energized. All right. Thanks again, Daniel. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Velocity Factor podcast. When you achieve speed and direction in your leadership and organization, Velocity will carry you farther than you ever imagined and faster than you ever thought possible. Now that strategy delivered at the speed of change. Be sure to subscribe to email updates at thevelocityfactor.com.